Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Hear the Future, the podcast dedicated to gaining inside access to today's brightest minds through open discussion and deliberation. Today we're joined by Jacob Wedderburn Day. Jacob completed his undergraduate degree in economics and management at Oxford University before completing a master's in economics from UCL. During his time at UCL, Jacob founded Stasha, a sharing economy solution for luggage storage. Described as the Airbnb of luggage, Stasha has raised a total of over $5 million and has won numerous awards, including Expedia's Travel Startup of the Year. So Jacob, great to have you here today. Guys, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So maybe you could start by telling us a bit about your background and where you were brought up. Sure. Um, I don't think there's anything too, uh, too novel or exciting there. I grew up in Kent um, and always had a passion for sort of maths, economics, business as well, I think. Um, I have early memories of being quite inspired by <laughs> business reality TV shows <laughs> and, um, and, and wanting to... I don't know. I, it's one of those things. I think I always liked the idea uh, of running a business and it always seemed to be that you needed a bit of luck um, and the right opportunity to come along. And I think uh, I was certainly lucky in the respect that when I went to study my undergraduate, uh, ended up living literally just across the hall from Anthony, who was uh, who is my co-founder. And, you know, we would go on to found Stasher together um, the year that we graduated from Oxford. Um, and I guess in part, it was still luck. I think I think a lot of business stuff does come down to luck at the end of the day. But we um, we used to spend a lot of time talking about different ideas and things that we could do. Uh, you know, we, we both definitely had that same sort of passion for entrepreneurship. And it was, yeah, it was quite fortunate that the idea for Stasha came to us when it did, because I think timing, again, plays a big part. Maybe you could talk a bit more about your time at Oxford. And then I guess what made you want to switch and come down to London for a Masters at UCL? Fair, yeah. Uh, Oxford was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a weird place. <laughs> it's um, it does feel somewhat like stepping into Hogwarts. I think at different <laughs> points, um, you know, especially with the robes that you have to wear at dinner and that. But I think what I loved about it was you. It's and I mean the same. I think is true of UCL and I imagine a lot of universities. But you bring up together a lot of bright people who are quite genuinely passionate and curious about what they're doing and studying. Uh, and for me, that always really resonated. And um, and yeah, I mean, I, it was a great time just to, I, I did a lot of extracurricular stuff um, in addition to sort of economics and business. Um, so, you know, played lots of sports, which I, which I really enjoyed. Um, and Ant was exactly the same. And yeah, lots of fond memories as well of just time wasted um, chatting about sort of, ideas for for businesses looking as well i think because the time we were there where that was the time where uber and airbnb were first kind of becoming household names so i think really the sharing economy was just starting to capture the public imagination at that point in time um which i think would have quite a big impact on our future decisions yeah it's interesting you mentioned timing there and how crucial a role timing can play in the success of a startup I know UCL recently has been pushing a lot more for innovation and entrepreneurship. Could you perhaps speak a bit more about how UCL actually helped to grow Stasha, whether that was through providing office space or putting you in touch with the right people? I yeah, I can I can praise UCL highly enough. I thought they were actually they were fantastic. Um, I remember personally wanting to come to London just because. Do you know, before I got into Oxford, I actually, I, London was um, where I really had my heart set on going for university. Um, and then I guess 
it's a bit hard to turn down Oxford. I, I hadn't sort of totally expected to get in. And then when I did, I was like, hey, I'm going to obviously go with this um, with no disrespect meant to London because London is fantastic. And I had an absolute awesome time at UCL when I came down for the year. I think it's it's a very different environment to study in. You know, it is, it's a city, it's busy. It's, it's much less of a bubble for want of a less cliche expression than, than Oxford is. UCL in particular, though, I think was... And, and continues to be, I, I, I go back and do work with um, the UCL Hatchery, which may have rebranded since um, since it called itself the Hatchery, but they're, they're awesome. They they put a lot of time and effort into cultivating startups. So when we were there, this was back in end of 2015, going into early 2016, and we just had the first kind of like notion of an idea for Stasha, and they were running this course. Uh, and it was basically the Entrepreneurship Society, and it was you know, how do you take an idea and sort of turn it into a real plan for execution, which couldn't have lined up better with the stage that we were at. And it gave us some structure to develop our own idea because obviously I was studying for my master's and had a job um, at a marketing agency that he was doing. So it meant that, you know, regularly on, I want to say it was Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night, maybe it was Tuesday. We'd regularly get together. We'd work through this course. By the end of the term, uh, we'd taken Stasha from an idea to like a fully fledged business plan that we were happy pitching in front of this competition that UCL put on. So that was really great. Uh, fast forward a bit, we did the competition. We didn't win, but we came runners up, which was enough to like spur us on to be like, right, we're gonna we're gonna do this now. The best way to do this is to, to take this out into the real world. So we launched launched a real website, and I'm happy to say much more about that later on. Um, but fast forward a bit, and uh, at the point where we were i was graduating from ucl and we were starting to think you know maybe stasha could become a full-time occupation that was where the hatchery uh was really really valuable because they did have free office space um and they made that available for startups which is in london just really special so it just gave us a place to come together not just together ourselves the two of us to work but amongst other startups who were at a very similar stage in their journey which is one of those things that's hard to put a value on but it, it just I don't know. I have so many great memories of the time spent there with other startups that, you know, I think out of all of us that were there, there were four I remember. One didn't make it, but the other three are still going, which I think is pretty cool. And um, one of them in particular, Unibody, are doing really well for themselves. So great to, great to be a part of that cohort. That's That sounds like a lot of fun, I guess. Um, how, how did it feel, I mean, to go straight into starting a company before going down, I guess, the more sort of standard uh grad route that a lot of uh, a lot of people take i i had a very brief period of comparison so the full sort of timeline of events was that uh summer 2016 we decided that stasher was doing well enough that it might genuinely be worth considering going full-time uh i think we were at the point where we were making you know we were we were making i think 100 pounds a day or something i remember Definitively, that was a milestone where we got quite excited and we're like, oh my God, we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at that point, we thought, you know, it's it's still, it's a big personal risk to take to start a business and throw your savings, et cetera, and, and your time into it. And we decided that the way to make that accessible for us was going to be if we could raise enough money to fund us doing it for a year. So we set about raising this round of angel money, uh, which ended up that was a round that was led by the CEO of Big Yellow Storage, James Gibson. Um, and he's still on our board. He's, he's awesome. He's been, he's been really great, supported us the whole way through. Um, while we were raising that round, I had lined up a job um, 
uh, for the end of my UCL sort of period. It was um, it was the Bank of England grad scheme actually, which which I really enjoyed. Um, although I was only on it for three months, <laughs> uh, because pretty much you know the month that I started was the month where we closed this deal with Big Yellow, and then there were a couple of months of sort of sorting out the paperwork and other things that go with closing around. Um, so I guess my perception was slightly warped because I knew I was only going to be there for a short time. So I did make the most of being there and, and enjoy the experience. But I haven't really answered your question. So your, your question was more aimed at like, um, you know, going to sort of jumping in the deep end, right, rather than rather than going down a traditional route. And I guess this may be a bit cliche, but I know people say it's always good to start these things when you're young and you're taking in somewhat somewhat relatively less of a risk um i think there's truth in that because although although sometimes i look back and i think if we'd had more experience of the working world there were potentially you know things we might have picked up from that and shortcuts we could have taken at the same time if you do especially if you get into like a good grad job and you get really settled i can imagine that makes it harder to make the shift you know when we were starting this we had nothing to lose we you know we were going from student debt to <laughs> potentially a way of making some money um whereas i imagine if you if you settle into uh, a relatively well-paid job it does become harder to leave that for the risk of making a lot less because startup failure rate continues to be fairly high I, I don't have the stats to hand but yeah no definitely and you uh you mentioned your first seed round with the uh, big yellow storage um, mm. I think both of us read your Medium article on how that went down. But for some of our listeners who might not be aware, could you tell us your recollection of what happened? Yeah, of course. That was a lot of fun. And again, such a case of luck playing its part because we, as I said, we were in the summer. We, we decided that if this was going to be viable for us, we wanted to raise enough money to fund us a year. That was that was our aim. And when we, when we sort of looked at the forecasts financially that we've made, um, uh, which ultimately is sort of somewhat guesswork, <laughs> but we, we'd settled on this figure of a hundred thousand pounds, which was, um, just a nice round number, I guess. And, um, that became our, our, our goal. And the big yellow guy was the first guy that we wrote to, which, um, which I think is an unprecedented hit rate of like one for one. We emailed him, um, uh, and it was funny because we forgot to like spell check the email as well, which at the time I was like really embarrassed about, but he completely didn't seem to notice. Um, and he, yeah, he, he just replied to this cold email in which we basically said, you know, we're these three young students, we've had this idea for storage, you're a storage guru, and it's not like, it's not a competing service. In fact, we could see it sort of working well alongside what you do if you were to invest um and we'd love to get your opinion um and i guess it probably helped that we didn't we didn't go in directly asking for money although i assume that was somewhat implied certainly when he agreed to meet us um you know the conversation steered that way in terms of okay what do you need like etc um and yeah i mean it was it, it was quite a remarkable experience really because he invited us down to his warehouse he gave us this like long tour of the warehouse and then sat us down for lunch and just like grilled us really hard for like three hours on this. Um, we, I think even like the night before we'd been staying up sort of putting the finishing touches to this deck that was like maybe 10, 15 pages long. And he had like questions on everything. And 
forced us to really sort of like demonstrate that we knew what we were talking about when it came to like the unit economics and stuff like that, which thankfully we did. Um, but he had some good ideas for us as well. I think at the time, I remember one of the things we used to do was we let customers pay cash or like pay the host directly and then we'd collect money. And he he said, you know, early on, if this like this is ultimately sort of an online marketplace and if it's going to succeed, you need to control the flow of cash. That's one of the first things you need to change in the way that you structure it is otherwise you're going to be always chasing money and you have the power to sort of set that. Um, so, so that was a change that we made. We've never looked back on. Yeah. Um, just an example, but yeah. Well, uh, you're definitely going to have to send me a copy of that email. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I, we need to find it because um, I've, I've been looking for it uh, in the past just as a sort of piece of company history, but we used to have, we used to literally our email back when we were called city stash we rebranded as stash in 2018. Uh, and it used to be just citystasher at gmail.com <laughs> was our official company email. And then we shifted all that to the at um, stasher domain. So it's somewhere. It'll be somewhere out there in the ether. I'll try and find it. <laughs> so you're at the stage where you've raised um, a bit of seed money. Mm. Um, you have an idea. You have maybe some revenue coming in. How did you go about hiring your first few employees? And how did you negotiate the equity for um, your earliest hires, if you did at all? We did. Um, I, I, actually, it's, it's a really good question and it's quite interesting. So there were the first guy we ever hired um, and this was our like technical co-founder. So he was with us from mid-2016 to the beginning of 2018. Um, and that was, I think, um, with no disrespect meant to him because I thought, you know, he did absolutely the necessary job that it took to get us from where we were when he joined to where we were in 2018, where we were sort of scaling up with BC money. Um, but yeah, it, we, we really had no idea <laughs> when it came to what an appropriate <laughs> amount of equity was to give away. Um, yeah. and, and relative to stage, I think he took 10% at the time, which actually I don't look back on as being too unreasonable because we really couldn't have got the product off the ground without him. We built our first prototype, just like me and uh, on share tribe, um, which was just this third party sort of marketplace builder, which yeah. is fantastic, really like really did the trick for prototyping. And then we wanted to build our own sort of custom platform. So uh, we had this early CTO who came in and helped us set that up. Um, uh, so that was that was one. And then um, basically it was it was another year and a half before we started getting into hiring and possibly something we should have done earlier. But I think um, we were working quite hard on it. We were very much sort of driven around, like keep the burn low in the first year in 2017. Uh, we only had a hundred grand. We wanted to make it go as far as possible. We were paying ourselves like the bare minimum to, to live on and putting all the money we could into sort of improving the product, getting more hosts on the platform and just marketing to customers. Um, and it was, <laughs> I remember actually making our first like sort of proper um, hire beyond the CTO. Um, <laughs> that was, we were starting to pitch to VCs at that point. Um, we'd got enough traction and we'd spoken to some advisors, um, including the guys at UCL who'd said, this is a really scalable business. You know, venture capitalists will be interested in it. And if you're, if you're, if you want to go down that route, you know, looking not at just like raising another hundred K, you could raise half a million to a million and, uh, yeah. and you could take this really international, like this was when we were still focused just around 
you know, building up the UK. So that got us quite excited. And we went into a meeting with a venture capitalist and the customer support phone line, which always just came directly to one of our two phones, it went off during the meeting. And they were like, you guys could probably afford to hire a customer support person, right? And we're like, yeah, we, we're going to go and do that. We're going <laughs> to, that's going to be the first thing we do after this meeting. So. <laughs> so you mentioned that there was a time when you had 100 pounds a day of revenue. I'm curious to know, was there any other particular milestone when you knew that Stasher had achieved product market fit? That is such a good question. Um, and it's interesting, I've read a lot about product market fit um, over the years. I know the guy who founded Superhuman, Rahul Vora, he um, he has quite a cool article uh, on, on product market fit, which if you haven't read, I can link it to you. Um, uh, and he has this whole metric around like, but it depends a bit on the business model. I think his was more slightly more like SaaS-ified anyway. Um, he, he had some quite cool metrics uh, and it was about like consumer sort of delight and stuff. For Stasha, I don't know. I, do you know, I, I wonder when, there was definitely a point where we looked and we were like, yeah, we, we, we must have it by now. <laughs> um, and it's, it's probably, it's, it's difficult because definitely you should be looking at stuff like revenue and customer engagement rather than stuff like fundraising to determine product market fit. There are a lot of good vanity metrics. Um, and I guess even when I say revenue, I mean like net revenue, not just sort of like GMV um, gross sort of merchandise value flowing through the marketplace. Cause yeah. ultimately you need not just sort of customers who like what you do, but you need, you need it to make financial sense. I do you know, I'd struggle to pinpoint an exact moment where we we were able to say that we had it. Um, I think 2017, we felt like we were onto something, but we were still really just co-founders. Um, 2018 was the year we started hiring. Things got a bit more challenging. It got a lot more competitive. Um, certainly in the SEO space, we had our fair share of challenges because we'd done this rebrand from City Stasher to Stasher and competitors were able to sort of gain a few places on us on Google. So that was... That was a tough year, but I think in 2019, 2019, we must have had product market fit for a while already, but that was definitely very much the year where we're like, nice, things are really, you know, the machine is working. We've built this machine, it's working. We can see now like hire people here, it will produce a return. So maybe maybe that was later than, than we really hit it. But I remember 2019 was the year I felt really quite confident about the direction that things were going in. I mean, yeah, there's no doubt you guys obviously do have product market fit, um, seeing as if I think we read you, you've expanded to over 250 cities. Mm. Um, how did you achieve this so quickly? And what sort of growth strategies did you use? Uh, there were a fun mixture. Um, the early days of launching cities was literally Ant and I would go around doing door to door sales with promising businesses. So, you know, it started off in London, um, just walking around like, hotels and news agents. Um, our very first host was right next to UCL. Um, it's, uh, I think she's still called Gilmore's news agents, um, but Michelle runs it at four Woburn walk. Um, and we'll she, you, you must, yeah, it's a piece of, piece of stasher history. <laughs> so she was, she was the first host. She was great. And she just kind of took a punt on us. I think I remember her saying that we reminded her of her grandsons and <laughs> therefore she was sort of willing to, to support us, um, which was sweet. Um, so we used to, anyway, we used to launch cities really by that quite hard sales door to door. You know, you, you go around, you sign places up and once you've got a few places live, that's it. The nice thing about the Stasher model, to be fair, is that you don't need 
hundreds of hosts per city. I mean, we have over 100 in London, which I guess is an exception because it's such a big city. But really, as long as you've got the core areas covered, like around the station, around the major tourist attractions, around the sort of key Airbnb hubs, you're going to be, it, it, there's a kind of exponential decay to the return of uh, marginal places. Like there will be a few that account for the majority of your revenue and then you can supplement it with more that will get occasional bookings. But there's a kind of, there's a trend we see there. So we became quite focused about launching cities in an effective way. It wasn't about going and trying to get as many places as we could. It was going about and trying to get like places in key areas and, and getting really good places, which meant that we didn't need to have like crazy long trips anywhere to really sort of launch a city in that sense. Um, the reason we were able to launch so many, I think was partly down to, we've always had quite a strong sort of sales culture and, and a good emphasis on sales within the business. I think even at our sort of peak in 2019 summer, like the split was sort of two third sales and business team and one third product. Um, so a lot of those guys did have um, roles and trips that involved traveling around and signing places up, which is a fun job. Uh, I remember two of our sales guys, both called Jack, uh, did like a full road trip around Australia and New Zealand. That was like a two month trip in which they launched about 10, 15 different cities, uh, which I was quite jealous of. That actually looks really fun. Um, and the so that, there's that kind of focus growth trip strategy, which I know companies like Airbnb have also employed to great effect before us. Um, that was kind of a leaf out of their playbook. The other thing that's worked really well for us is just like chain sales. So for example, uh, partnership with Premier Inn, when we launched with Premier Inn, um, you know, once we got that sort of from pilot into trial into like fully fledged launch, we had 200 hotels live. They covered a great array of cities across the UK, uh, which is a nice way to get those numbers up. And the same is true with um, Aqua hotels across France and uh, yeah, that's that's very much a pattern that we're looking to replicate as well across more more countries. Yeah, uh, something I'd also love to know more about is the effect of coronavirus on your business. Yeah, how difficult has it been, and have there been perhaps any strategies that Stasher has had to mitigate its effects? Yeah, there's there's no way of sugarcoating it. Really, it has it has been a complete disaster. Um, however, it's um, I say that with a smile because it's travel is something I'm very confident will come back. I think everybody who's sort of been through lockdown does feel in some ways that that need to get away. You saw with the sort of sheer volume of like staycation travel that in absence of like international alternatives, people do find ways to go and explore and, uh, and, you know, stay in different places. It's sort of, I think it's, it's an almost innate human need to, to experience travel to a degree and when it comes back whenever that point will be be it 2021 i hope but perhaps 2022 that people are sort of traveling again with the same comfort and freedom that they used to then you know the business is ready and it's there to support people and it'll kick back into gear i mean during the worst periods of sort of april may we we the whole of april we didn't book a single bag it was uh, you know we we decided actually middle of april we were just going to pause the entire network just to completely shut costs down we opened we started opening it back up again in may booking started trickling through july and august have been okay but i say that like in in a relative sense they haven't been they they've not been anywhere close to what last summer was like and and what this summer could have been which is sad, um, but
but you know we're we're in the same boat as a lot of other companies we were very very fortunate with the timing of a fundraise at the beginning of the year that means that although things are a bit bleak now the company at least has a future and and the people that we employ have a future with that company um and it's a bit of a waiting game and then in terms of spinning a positive because i think you know you 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 had that as part of your question i think it's absolutely the right way to look at it is it's it's obviously it's it's negative in terms of demand is is right down right now and actually i mean i I, that's not to mention the effect on the business hosts that we work with as well you know a lot of them we've seen a lot of them close or, or you know a percentage of them close which is which is quite sad um as well so we can can really empathize with how that feels um i guess at the same time you do you do have to like take a, a slightly positive look on things for us as founders it's really unusual to have so much time kind of off to some extent like you i'd become i hadn't realized quite how much my life had become like very stasher focused over the last sort of four to five years it just like you know by 2020 early 2020 when we closed this round i was like i was completely consumed by it i was so focused on everything that we were doing which is in its own way is fantastically fun but then when this happened i had suddenly all this time to myself i got really back into sport and exercising again and that's you know that's been fun and then from a business point of view what we've been trying to do is our initial strategy was like we know this is going to be bad for us. We'll cut costs. We'll do everything we can to make sure that the business has uh, a future, financially speaking. So that's all been done um, and taken care of. And and uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with the way that we handled that quite proactively. We weren't we weren't deluding ourselves at any point in sort of March or April that this was going to be a short term thing. We we were like, you know what? We'll prepare for the worst. We've literally budgeted for 2020 to make zero revenue for the rest of the year and and made our plans accordingly. Um, right tackle the face yeah you have to yeah i think i think you have to and i think it that was one of a, a case where actually i think it really helped us that we had investors um external investors for whom it, it's quite important to to present that you know the that right sort of level of professional conservatism and we we went to them and we've said like you know we are planning for the worst here and, and this is the way we've done it and i think that's good because then for our, for them they don't need to worry about the responsibility that we're exercising in managing managing their money and, and and their investment and and that's all important but then um the other thing i wanted to say was just that yeah it's i don't know i guess we we both have that sort of entrepreneurial itch right like there's only so much sort of waiting that you can do before it gets quite boring <laughs> and uh, so what we've been trying to do is is look at like alternative revenue lines that we can launch new services that are like relevant to what we're doing ways of just kind of keeping our partners and hosts engaged and happy um that that makes sense and add value um so one of the things we have been looking at quite seriously we're we're on the point of launching a delivery service and this was something we talked about way back in our first ever business plan we said you know once we've got people storing things everywhere we can kind of connect the places and deliver stuff and make that another element of the sort of travel journey that eliminates the luggage pain point so that was something that I didn't think we'd get around to this year if you'd asked me in January because we were so focused on expanding the core service and, and launching more cities. Um, but it's been nice to get the the groundwork in place for that. And I think that should go live in the next month or so. And then when things pick up, um, you know, I'm not expecting that to be a revenue spinner in the short term. But I think when things pick up again, it gives us another string in our bow that we can take to host some partners. And um, yeah, there'll, there'll, be, there'll be benefits again in the long term to that.
that that uh that delivery service actually sounds really interesting it's a bit like uber who's i guess spun out uber eats a bit um and that's, <laughs> i guess that's that's like a really fast growing segment of their business it's um, true yeah yeah so i think uh yeah i guess of course we always we are optimistic on on the sharing economy um how much how much sort of academic reading because i know you you have interest in game theory and all that sort of thing how much reading had you done in, on the sharing economy before starting stasha good question um it was do you know it was interesting because when when i was studying economics and business and this was like 2012 to 2015 16 the sharing economy was definitely like you know it was becoming part of the zeitgeist like Airbnb, I can't remember when exactly they became a household name. I was certainly aware of them from like sort of 2011, 12. And then I think by about 16, it was pretty normalized to go traveling, stay in an Airbnb. Like, you know, maybe sort of parents or grandparents be like, what's that? But like, for the most part, it was it was pretty commonplace. And that I think was what sparked my interest in the sharing economy. I think I just always loved the business model. Um, yeah. It fits really well within a sort of marketplace framework because it is just that, you know, you bring people together, you utilize resources more efficiently. Um, and I mean, the way we applied it was like space is literally, it's a resource that you pay a fortune for, especially in cities. And it's, it can go completely underutilized. Very true. Now, is there, I, I'm trying to think if there's any good reading I could recommend on the sharing economy specifically, because I think it sort of passed by our curriculum because it was still, it was still quite current um, at the time when I was studying um since then i guess a lot of what i've gleaned from the sharing economy has been more sort of applied real world than than necessarily theoretical stuff like there are some great conferences i've been to people i've met who you know we're i guess we're all kind of growing the ideas around it um i've done a few talks around sort of trust in the sharing economy that was that was certainly an element of it that we felt was like essential to the way that stasha had to function like trust had to be front and center as as the kind of core value um in order for it to work effectively um i don't know if i've answered your question um very completely no no, no. But... no definitely have i mean I, I guess if there's any links that do come to mind send them to us and we'll, we can have absolutely them. yeah yeah we'll do we'll do touching on something that you mentioned earlier about how you know now that there's been the lockdown coronavirus you've had a bit more free time to explore other mm -hmm. streams has stasha ever considered using machine learning uh, or incorporating that into their core product offering somehow to improve the customer experience? Yes, um, it's definitely something investors have asked me in the past too. Um, I suppose it, it will definitely make sense in a context of like, if we can ever get the delivery service to the point that I envisaged once where, where it is very much like a network of places that are easily connected and you've got enough volume of orders that you kind of, have that traveling salesman problem of like optimizing flow of things to, to kind yeah. of keep costs down. Like I could totally see it working in that kind of context for the core service. I could see it being applied perhaps to like the sort of the core search algorithm when you land on the map. I mean, at the moment things are very much just like ordered by location and you can sort yourself based on sort of filters. There's nothing too clever there. It's, it's sort of standard e-commerce setup and, I could imagine some kind of machine learning algorithm applied to like optimize engagement there, but that might be slightly like stretching, <laughs> stretching the need for it. Um, but it's certainly, it's a cool, one of my, one of my good friends is, uh, he, he, he's like a machine learning engineer uh, over in, he was at Oxford. I think he's over in Vancouver at the moment. He's doing some pretty, 
pretty wacky stuff with worms. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, it's a field I wish I knew more about personally, actually, because it does, it does always seem like it's on the sort of frontier of news. And Yeah, I mean, I had to ask, you know. <laughs> yeah, that question. <laughs> cool. So I guess, look, we're at the stage now where we uh, ask our signature question that we ask all of our guests. Uh, it is open-ended, so there's, there's obviously there's no pressure, there's no right or wrong answer. Um, but, I mean, if you could change any one thing in the next 10 years globally, what would it be and why? Ooh, I like that question. Um, interesting, interesting. I'm big on education as, as a sort of theme and topic and a way of, like, improving social mobility and just, you know, giving people opportunities to lead fulfilling lives. I think, you know, if you, I think one of the things I've taken most appreciation from my own education experiences has just been that kind of the love of learning that it gives you. Like um, one of the, the real motives I've always had for running Stasha has been that it's such an awesome learning experience. Like you learn, you learn so much by just kind of being forced to run a company and manage every single aspect of it versus potentially if you go into a bigger company and you, you sort of get relatively expert in one field of it. I'm generalizing massively. I think, you know, there are great learning experiences to be had, whatever career path you follow. Um, but certainly that was always one of the things that motivated me. And I think that stems from, from, yeah, just having a real love of learning. And I think that does make life just really enriching. And what I'd love to do is, some kind of work around that um which is a super vague answer but i think i'd i'd love to i think the internet gives us tremendous power to like make education so accessible and democratize it and there's there's a lot of great things already out there like online courses um that do sort of uh democratize access to education that's something i'd love to get involved with and and i've always said actually my co-founder and i that you know, we, we've always seen Stasher as like, it's a fun business. It solves, it solves a very real problem. It's been an awesome experience for us. We'd love to take it to the point where it has like real sort of global coverage and, 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 you know, makes us a bit of a reputation and then, and then, yeah, sort of take the Elon Musk approach to business thereafter and find sort of wacky problems to solve. So education next, and then, you know, making humans into planetary. And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay perfect thank you so much for your time today jacob uh, it's been a real pleasure thank you for having me no it's been it's been great